Um, let me pray for us, because we're going to be in our last week of practicing the way of Jesus, the summer series that we've been doing, which is really exciting. But um, before we get into that, let me just pray. God, I am I'm so grateful for this space. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be a local church, to grow and to, um, to thrive in you, Lord. We recognize you're at the center of everything that we do as a community. And so I pray that you just bless this time, um, bless this this morning as we talk on the subject of, of giving and living a generous life, I pray that you would, uh, I pray that you would just be in that with us. We can't do it without you. Amen. Um, yeah, so the last uh, practice of the way of Jesus, which is the spiritual disciplines that we've been going through, is in fact giving. So let me disarm the room right now, because when a pastor says giving, people go, oh no, I'm about to sit through an hour of garbage. Uh, it, this is not a give me your money sermon. I want to focus on living life abundantly. And mostly that comes down to the paradox of scarcity versus abundance. So there is, there's a mindset of scarcity, and then there's a mindset of abundance. And I want us to clue into that mindset of abundance as we talk this morning. So um, what is scarcity? A scarcity mindset, and these are, these are terms that are actually used in marketing and PR. So if, if you can tap into the scarcity mindset, if a marketer can tap into that scarcity mindset, they can actually sell you something much more effectively. Because the idea with scarcity is that there will never be enough. So scarcity comes into our lives and we think there will never be enough. Um, people who have a scarcity mindset generally think there's only room for one at the top, they hoard things from others. They have no desire to share wisdom with others. They won't offer to help others. They're suspicious of others. They're resentful of competition, and they're afraid of being replaced. They believe that times are tough, the pie is shrinking, and so they tend to think narrowly and avoid risk, and most of all, they fear change. So that's the one side. That's scarcity mindset. Now let's look at an abundant mindset. People who think abundantly collaborate to stay on the top, they're generous with others, they share knowledge, they freely offer to help others, trust and build rapport, they build welcome, healthy competition, they strive to grow, they believe the best is yet to come, they believe the pie is growing, they think big and they embrace risk and they take ownership of change. So which one sounds like a better way to live? Right? I think all of us in this room would agree that the abundant side of things seems like a lot less stress. But what I found out this week in studying this is it's not only spiritually harder to, to live in this abundant way of thinking, it's actually physically harder. So I did some nerdy research this week, and I, I focused in on the way that our brains are made. This is going to be fun. Um, I want to show you the top breaking news from CNN. This was on Thursday when I wrote the sermon. Let's just ignore the first five because we're in election time. We're not going to get rid of that. Um, but look at the bad news here. We got nuns, maybe homicide victims. Italy earthquake toll hits 250. Teen gets probation for sex assaults. Brazil wants Locke to be back to testify. And my favorite, where birds and fish get their meth. <laughs> so this is breaking news, right? And if you go to any news outlet, and I, I went to a bunch of them to try and find the breaking stories, you'll find the breaking stories are often the worst news. And why is it's not just in these curated websites, news sources, all that kind of stuff. What's even bigger is when we look on our Twitter feeds, our Facebook feeds, and our Instagram feeds, not our Snapchat feeds. Ain't no news on Snapchat. But the rest of them, we can see that we actually curate the bad news. Because when you look at tending topics and stuff like that, that's the stuff that people are clicking on. That's the stuff that people care about. And nine times out of ten, that's bad news. 
So why do we focus so heavily on bad news? Why does bad news make it into our lives so easily? And I found a guy named Peter Diamonds, and he writes fascinatingly on this subject. He's also got a TED Talk, which is awesome. If you have like 10 minutes this week, go look at this. Um, but he writes a lot on why we get hung up with all of this bad news. Um, and he says it's actually that our brains are taking in way, way, way more information than they have ever had before in the digital age. So we are processing more info than any other time in history. We're also processing decision-making more than any other time in history. And so when we look on a news feed on our digital device or anything like that, it's the bad news that makes it in first and easiest because of a little thing called fight or flight. So do we have that nerdy brain picture? Check this out. Oh, I feel like a teacher. Um, this is the amygdala. Everyone say amygdala. Amygdala. So the amygdala is, if you spend enough time with me, you've had to endure my talk about the lizard brain. Has anyone endured my talk about the lizard brain? Okay, so the amygdala is also called the lizard brain. It's called the lizard brain because it's the reptilian brain. It's like the oldest evolutionary part of our brain. And what that bad boy does for us is when a car is coming towards us or a gun is pulled on us or a tiger jumps out of a bush, we react in a fight or flight manner. It puts us into a temporary state of shock in which we respond with reflex and not calculated cool thoughts. And it's kept us alive. So it's, it, it has a really, really, really valid role to play within our brains, but the problem is now it fires when we are worried and we are stressed. So when we make decisions in a period of worry or stress, what we're doing is making the same decisions that a reptile could make. We are functioning on that kind of brain power rather than the whole deal. Um, so that's... With this, it also has a bias of what information you take in and what you don't. So when we are looking at our Twitter feeds or we're looking at our news sources or we're, we're in conversation with people, the bad news imprints twice as fast as the good news because of that fight or flight. It's instinctually like, I gotta pay attention to that. So when we see headlines about gruesome things or dark things or hard things or stressful things, our brain literally goes like, I need to pay attention to that because that could cause me danger. Right? So it's crazy. Bad news literally imprints on our brains faster. So I found uh, Richard Rohr writes a lot about this stuff. And if you've read any of Richard Rohr, it's fantastic. But here's what he writes about um, this, how it takes a little bit more to get good news into our systems. He says, Dan O'Grady, a psychologist and living school student, told me recently that our negative and critical thoughts are like Velcro. They stick and hold. Whereas our positive and joyful thoughts are like Teflon. They slide away. We have to deliberately choose to hold on to positive thoughts so that they can imprint. Observing my own habits of thought and in counseling and others, I've seen this to be profoundly true. The implications are enormous for individuals and for society. Neuroscience can now demonstrate the brain indeed has a negative bias. The brain prefers to constellate around fear, negative, or problematic situations. In fact, when a loving, positive, or unproblematic thing comes your way, you have to savor it consciously for at least 15 seconds before it can harbor and store itself in your implicit memory. Otherwise, it doesn't stick. We must savor the good in order to significantly change our regular attitudes and mood, and we need to strictly monitor the Velcro negative thoughts. Let's all take a breath. That got real nerdy there. <laughs> but that's crazy. 
we have to hold on to a positive thought for 15 seconds so that it can imprint in our brain the same way that a bad news one does right off the bat. This is that scarcity mindset versus the abundance. The abundance takes intentionality. And the good news as followers of Jesus is that there is so much abundance that Jesus offers. There's so much abundance in the story of Christ. So I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to uh, take a look at one of my favorite parables. If you guys have spent any time in church, you've probably heard this parable. It's the prodigal son. And usually, this story is meant to tell a story of a, a son who goes wayward, as if to step away from the faith, and then to come back. But today, I want to look at it slightly different. I want to put the son in the category of scarcity, and I want to put the father in the category of abundance. So the son is that scarcity mindset, and the father is the abundant mindset. We're going to read this. If you guys want to turn with me, you can do that, or we're going to have it on the screen. But this is Luke 15, 11 through 32. And it's a little lengthy, but um, hang with me. It said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon after, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in the country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. And then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He is lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. This is where things get interesting. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I've never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me so much as a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returns after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That is truly a profound story of the love of God, right? Now, the prodigal is the symbol for the scarce way of thinking. Rather than seeing the abundance that was clearly around him at home under the care of his father, he decided to take matters into his own hands. 
So here's the thing. The resource was always there. And yet he said, what you're doing with it, Father, is not good enough for me. So I want to take what I believe is mine, and I want to go, and I want to do it for myself. So the son is stuck in his scarcity mentality when things go real, real bad. So he goes out and he squanders all of this money, all of this wealth, all of this inheritance, and he hits rock bottom, in a sense, and he goes, okay, well, I'll, just, I'll have to go get a really crummy job to just try to even make ends meet. And he gets to a point where he is so hungry that he looks at what the pigs that he's feeding, and he goes, that looks appealing, but no one would even give him that. So here's the scarcity mindset. Now, the abundant mindset would say, I'll go back to my father and ask for forgiveness. The scarcity mindset in this individual said, I'll go back to my father and become a servant. Right? So it was clear that to him, the pie was shrinking. It had already been used up. All of those resources were gone. And now he needed to come back, like, tail between your legs, go back to my father, and just be hired out by him, because at least I know I'll be able to eat. Here's where we get to see very, very clearly the currency of the kingdom, the currency that God is dealing with. Because when that son comes back from a long way off, the father sees him, and he darts towards him. He runs towards him. He hugs him. He calls for a celebration, a party, because this son of his was dead and is now alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And what that means is that the currency of the kingdom and the currency that is so abundant in God is care. I'm not talking finances here. I'm talking care. That love is so abundant that the father doesn't really even care about the material. So I love the picture, too, of the other son, because I think we've all been there. So the other son comes back, and he comes into this sound of music and partying, and he's like, what is going on? And the servant comes out, and he's like, what's, what's happening? And the servant goes, oh, your, your brother is back, so your dad is throwing this massive party. And I love the language in here. It says he didn't even want to go in. So there's this like, like pouty, like, I'm not going in there. And the dad has to come out, beg his son to come in. But here's the interesting part, and this is where we see that the abundance is even greater than before. Before, there's a third of the inheritance, right? There, is, there would be a half of the inheritance, I'm sorry, between the two sons. Half of the inheritance was already spent. But it didn't matter to the father. And he literally answers his son and he says, everything I have is yours. It's not half of what I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You're with me, and so all of this is already yours. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we care for your brother. This, this son refers to the other son as your son. He doesn't even say, my brother's back. He says, this is your son. This guy is like dead to this other brother. And what the father is begging and pleading and trying to show the other son, is both are equally confused when it comes to resources, is that that's not how this kingdom works. We don't split it up. We don't divide. We don't give it up. And it took one brother going out and squandering it, and the brother calls it out on prostitutes. Half of inheritance, that's a lot. <laughs> It took one brother that path to learn this, and it's going to take this other brother another path to learn this too, because basically what he's saying is, I have the same mindset as my other brother. I just didn't run away. 
I think it's clear that this abundance is important to God, and it's important for us to feel taken care of. And that's something we don't talk about a lot in church, is like, we need to be taken care of. We need to feel as though we were being taken care of. And the great, awesome news is there is a God who is literally taking care of us. And we can rest in that. So when we begin to rest in that and we begin to lean into this currency of care and care for one another and care for our brothers and sisters and all that good stuff, the overflow of that is generous living. Because if we're genuinely caring for people, generosity is not a problem. It doesn't even feel like a chore, right? It feels like an overflow of what's already going on in our lives. And that doesn't make sense in our Western minds because we aren't taught to think about resources in this way. We are taught that scarcity mindset, like hoard it, keep it safe, do not, do not let anyone into it, right? In the kingdom of God, it almost seems wasteful. And I found this amazing poem, I gotta get this guy's name right, it's by Dom Helder Camara that sort of describes the wastefulness of God's beauty. And it says this, it says, Lord, isn't your creation wasteful? Fruits never equal the seedling's abundance. Springs scatter water. The sun gives out enormous light. May your bounty teach me greatness of heart. May your magnificence stop me being mean. Seeing you a prodigal and an open-handed giver, let me give unstintingly like God's own. So, the kingdom of God is abundant in ways that like even nature shows. That I love that like the sun just gives out this light and like the streams just like scatter this water and, and it, the power of a fruit that drops the amount of seeds that's in there, it only like only turns into one tree. So in God's economy, in God's kingdom, this abundance thing is constantly spilling over almost in a wasteful manner. But that is what blessing looks like. That's what the kingdom looks like. So I want to call us to action this week. Um, and I'm going to be a part of this too, but I want us to find what resource or resources we are hoarding or what resources would be our inheritance that we're going off and doing our own thing with and give it up. So that's not money. That's, that, that could be money for you, but it could be a gift that you've been given a talent. It could be a space that you have that you can invite people into. It could be relationship that you could be inviting people into. All of this stuff, we can, we can keep our scarcity mentality and keep ourselves in this little box, or we can just say, it's all open, right? So I'm gonna pray, and while I do that, I'm just gonna ask God to show us what that resource is that we're hoarding, and then we're gonna clench our fists, close our eyes. So if you wanna close your eyes, bow your heads, just clench your fists like this, like real balled up real tight. And, uh, yeah, God, I, I, I'm thankful for your abundance, and I'm thankful that we can live in that kind of a reality. That is so cool. Um, Lord, I pray for our week this week that you would just reveal what it is that we're holding like this with these clenched fists. It's tense when we clench our fish, fists. It, it, it kind of hurts. It's not comfortable. And there are parts of our lives that we're holding on to like this, we really should just be giving an open hand. So, Lord, with the resource in mind, we just open up our hands and relax. 
So Lord, I just pray that you'd send us out this morning uh, in that abundance and let us leave this place really, really slowly. Um, we have breakfast burritos, Lord. We thank you for those. And uh, yeah, just bless this place, God.